This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. Today is the beginning of a new Sunday series called Closer. We're going to be talking about getting closer to God. And um, it's really as simple as that. We're going to talk about getting closer over the next month, partner with 21 Days of Prayer in hopes and in hopes that we're able to kind of establish a deeper, closer connection with God. So there's a lot of ways to get close to people. Um, one, of, one way to get close to people or to get close to someone is to stand really, really close to them. Like, do you all know that, that close stander person that's like all up in your space and all up in your, your business? And you're like, hey, cool, I'm glad you're here, but take a step back. Or, you know, you want to like pull out Altoids out of your pocket and like, you're here, have an Altoid. You know, anybody know that person? That's one way to get close, but that's not really what we're talking about today. Um, another way to get close is to spend quality time with people. Um, quality time. If you want to get close to someone, you spend quality time with them. Uh, for me, I'll just be honest, the way that I enjoy getting close to people and the way that people are really good at getting close to me is bringing me gifts. So if you want to get close to me, just bring me a gift. And I promise you, I will receive it, and we will become closer than we've ever been before. So bring me gifts. I'm just kidding. Bring me gifts for real. That'd be nice. (laughs) My wife has learned this about me. She has learned, she learned very quickly that I enjoy gifts. And so she brings me gifts. And I'm so thankful for gifts. Like, I love gifts. And she figured out what gifts to bring me. Like, she tried buying me clothes, and that didn't work out because I like to pick out my own clothes. And, you know, she, shoes. she got me one pair of shoes that I really liked. But other than that, you know, we're, we're navigating through that. She finally figured it out. Food. She brings me gifts of food. And I can tell you it makes my heart so happy when she brings me a gift of food. Like, all foods. Any food, except for, like, vegetables. I don't really do those. But any other food, I'm good with. Meat. Absolutely all meat, but my favorite, pastries. I love me some pastries. Like, she'll, I'll walk in and she'll have those, um, the break and bake cookies in the oven, and I can just smell them, and I know, yeah, she's, she's thinking about me, we're good. Okay, but you've got to get the Nestle ones. The Pillsbury ones aren't the same. You've got to get the Nestle Toll House ones. They're much, much better. And when you have those in the oven, yes, that is a good gift. My wife, I have a, I have a problem, guys. I love food. I talk about food a lot. We need like a freedom small group, a freedom from food small group. And ironically, I lead a small group that eats on Thursday mornings. Like we have a small group breakfast on Thursday mornings. I like to eat. So, all right. Gifts. I love gifts. One year for Christmas, my parents thought it would be cool to trick us. Um, and so they brought out all of our gifts. You know how for Christmas gifts come out in batches? Like they'll wrap three or four and put them under the tree and then they'll wrap four or five more and put them under the tree. Well, the first batch of gifts came out and were put under the tree, and I was so excited. I was like, yes, I'm a pretty good, like, gift figure-outer. I don't think that's really a word, but I can figure out what's in a gift pretty easily. And so the gifts were there, and I went, and, and we ran and tried to look at the gifts and started, like, looking at them to see whose was who, and there were no names on the gift. And I was like, how am I going to know which one's mine? Well, my stepmom had decided, hey, we're not going to tell them which one's theirs. We're going to write a number code on it. And so there was number codes on each and every gift. And so we didn't get to figure out what our gifts were. Well, Christmas morning rolls around and she comes out with her laptop and an Excel spreadsheet with all the numbers next to the names and started passing them out. That was really disappointing. I love gifts and I love figuring out what the gifts are. So I was pretty disappointed in that. But the one that I struggle with the most, the gift that I struggle with the most is when, you know, it's your birthday and it's your birthday month and you go to like the mailbox and you open it up and there's a card in there. 
you just kind of get excited, like, there's a birthday card. All right, cool, I got a birthday card. And so you turn it over, and you open it up, and you pull out the birthday card, and it's not really a real birthday card. It's like a birthday card from, like, some business you did business with, like, a year ago. I'm like, seriously, I was expecting money. God, like, I struggle with that one. Like, I really struggle with that one. I'm like, don't send me a card for doing business with you. Send me money for doing business with you, all right? Like a referral program or something. Like give me a gift card, $5, something like that. But have you guys ever had that experience where like you open up, you think you're getting a birthday card or even the birthday card from like the grandparent that always like hooks you up, you know, for your birthday or Christmas or something. And you go to open that birthday card and there's nothing in it instead. And you're like, really? Like why? Empty gifts are not fun. I can tell you from experience, okay? Empty gifts are not fun. But gift giving is genuinely a love language. It's a real love language. Gift receiving is a love language too. I can tell you that from experience. Gift giving and receiving is a love language. And I would even venture to say that gift giving is one of God's love languages. And we have opportunities day after day to give God gifts. Well, one specific gift that he loves is our genuine worship. God loves the gift of genuine worship. Well, why? Because it's one of the only things that God can't acquire himself. Sure, the angels stand around their throne and they worship. That is a form of worship. But from us, as humans, as humanity, he cannot force us to worship. So when we have an opportunity, we take the time out of our day, out of our schedule, out of our life to worship God. It makes him absolutely happy. It is a beautiful gift to him. And so today... As we begin our 21 days of prayer, I told you I was going to say it a lot. As we begin our 21 days of prayer, I want us to talk about what God really wants in this gift of worship. What is he really looking for? What does he want for us? What can we focus on for the next 21 days to engage with him and get closer to him? Let's dive into worship a little bit and kind of tear that apart. What is worship? Well, Christian culture defines worship a lot of times as what we experienced this morning. Band, music, songs, singing, that is worship. That is a Sunday morning worship experience, worship opportunity. And it's amazing. This is a form of worship. But the true definition of worship is the response to what we value. Worship is the response to what we value. If I value something, I respond to it, that is worship. It's important for us to establish that for the next few minutes, that worship is something, is a response to something that we value. We worship all kinds of stuff. We value all kinds of stuff, and we respond to all kinds of stuff. Our jobs, for example, our careers, what we've decided to do. We, we work lots of hours, and we always put work first, or we work too many hours, or we don't know how to shut down and leave for the day, or we wake up too early, and there's all kinds of things and ways that we show value to our career above other things. Or sports. I'll be honest with you guys. I struggle with this one. I love sports. I love sports probably a little too much. Like when I was a kid, I couldn't tell you what Genesis 1 and 1 said, but I could tell you Rusty Greer's batting average. He was number 29, left field for the Texas Rangers. He batted 305 with 119 119 home runs and 618 RBIs. I can tell you about Rusty Greer. John 3.16, something about Jesus and dying on a cross. I struggled with sports. Sports was a priority for me. It's funny how we invest in things and it doesn't really return the investment. Like sports, so I did some math a couple months ago. From the age of 
probably 10 for me is when I really got engaged with sports. So from the age of 10 to now 32, 22 years, I've invested in 154 seasons of sports across all the different sports that I like, baseball, football, soccer, all of it. I've celebrated three championships of 154 seasons. Like, that's sad. Like, I'm emotionally invested 154 times and been let down so many times. Why would I invest so much in it? The 99 Stars, the 2005 Longhorns, and the 2011 Mavericks. Come on, Cowboys. We need a Super Bowl. Hey, y'all don't judge. Don't judge me. I like sports. I know at some of y'all's house on Sunday afternoons when the Cowboys are playing, it looks more like the Book of Psalms than it does here on a Sunday morning. I know. Book of Psalms, clapping and dancing and singing and jumping. I do it. But I also do it here at church too, so it's okay. Maybe it's our kids. Maybe our kids are what we worship. We place value in our kids, and that's a great place to, to put value in, in. But sometimes we allow our kids to run the show or allow our kids to make the decisions or allow our kids to keep us from putting God first and doing what God wants us to do. There are many things that we worship and show value to. And the way that we can find out what we've shown a lot of value to and what we worship higher, kind of on the, the totem pole, higher on the list, is where we spend our energy, our time, our money, our resources, our thoughts. I've always heard it said, and it, you know, I've, I've always heard it said that if I see your checkbook and I see your calendar, I can tell you what's important to you. I genuinely believe that. Where you spend your money, where you spend your time, where you spend your resources, what you think about is really what's genuinely important to you and what's most important to you. All the things that we've talked about in the past few minutes are good things. They are good things. But when they replace God as number one, that's when we begin to run into issues. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, and all the notes and scriptures are in your mobile app, so if you want to pull that out, feel free to dive in and follow along. But Romans 1, 21, verses 21 through 23, this is what happened. People started placing other things and worshiping other things above God. So Paul writing, he says, yes, they knew God. They are Christians. They were Christians. They are Christians. This is written to Christians. And he says, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was really like. So as a result, their minds became dark and confused. They started thinking, up, okay, God wants me to do this. God wants me to act this way. God wants me to feel this. God wants this tradition. God wants, wants me to feel this way. And so they had this kind of misconstrued view of what God wanted for them. And in the process, their minds became dark and confused. They lost their focus. They lost their direction. They lost where they were supposed to be going. They needed 21 days of prayer to refocus and to get reengaged. So claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So are you saying that God is against all this other stuff that we've been talking about? No. God is not against the things in our life. God is not against all these good things. God's not against sports. But when it allows, when it becomes number one in our life, yes, he is against it. And here's why. He's jealous. God is a jealous God. He wants to be number one. Not only does he want to be number one, he deserves to be number one. He earned the right to be number one in our lives. The songs we sing today spell it out so beautifully. We should be dead the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. He earned the right to be number one. He paid our debt. And we have an opportunity 
to make him number one. He's never going to force us to make him number one, but we have this beautiful opportunity to make him number one in our life. So yeah, he gets jealous. He gets frustrated when somebody else gets the number one spot in our lives. Deuteronomy 6, 14 and 15 says it like this. You must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nations. For the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. And then the next statement, very intense. So if you are, if you are worried or get torn up by intense moments and intense scriptures, you might want to close your ears. He says, he's a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you. He's, he's, he's going to get mad at you. But the next part is what really gets me. And he will wipe you from the face of the earth. That's pretty intense. Like, if I put somebody else above God, he's going to wipe me from the face of the earth. Probably not literally because, honestly, all of us put other things on top of him and make him, you know, put other things above him. But it proves the point that he gets really jealous. He gets really upset when we allow things to become number one in our lives that are not him. When someone else gets to number one and we worship it more than him, our attempts to get closer to him are like giving empty gifts. So let's go back to the gift idea for a second. If I say, all right, God, I'm a Christian. I look like a Christian. I go to church on Sundays. I raise my hands. I do my part. I serve somewhere. I'm a Christian. But in reality, our hearts are far away from him. That is giving him an empty gift of worship. It's a gift that's beautifully wrapped, but empty. It's like, I mean, put, put yourself in God's position for a second. You get that, post, that, 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 that card in the mail, your birthday card that you're really excited about, and you're like, all right, I'm going to open it. Let's go. And then you open it, and it's the happy birthday card from the business that you did business with. That's how God views worship that is empty. That's how God views our worship when he's not number one. This is tough. I know it's hard to kind of process through and think about. But if we want to really truly get closer to him, we have to have the tough conversations to say, all right, God, there is some other stuff that's on top of you. There is some stuff that's in front of you. I'm going to put, push through and put you number one in my life. And I think genuinely all of us at our core, our spirit man wants to put God number one first. But like in Romans chapter one, we just kind of get confused. We don't really know. We, we start thinking that this is what God wants for us and this is what God, and, and so we get confused and, and, and clouded in our minds and we don't really know how to put him first. So I want to give you guys three things for the next few minutes to think about over this next 21 days in preparation for getting closer to him. Three things to think about and examine your heart and mind and life to see if they are there. And if they are there, how can we fix it? How can we move forward? How can we change it? Things to guard against that allow us, that offer empty gifts to him. The first one, that's hurt, you ready? The first one is pride. Number one is pride. I value what others think more than what God thinks. I value what others think more than what God thinks. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I want to worship. Uh, I want to put him first and stuff, but so-and-so is just going to, like, crack on me so hard if I really genuinely try to put God first and, and give my life to him and I say no to some things, you know. that I, you, So, you know what? I, no, I can't put God first in my life. Sorry. Well, you know, I'll just partake in, in, in this event or say these things or act in this way in this setting because if they knew, if they knew that I was really putting God first and giving my life to him, that, you know, eh, they might make fun of me or something and I value what they say about me, so. I think we all want to. We feel this tugging and desire to put him first, to worship him, but we're afraid of what they might say or think. Well, I pose a question to you. 
Who is they? And what gives they the right to have that much say in your life? What gives they the right to earn number one in your life over what God thinks of you? It happened here this morning, Sunday morning worship. We had amazing worship, beautiful songs. It happened here today. We had an opportunity to worship. And there were some of us in here today that were, the music was good and we were starting to feel it. And like our toes were moving up and down in our shoes. But we couldn't just quite get it out of our toes into our foot to stomp our foot. Because, well, what so-and-so next to me going to think if they see my foot tapping? I promise you, nobody is looking at your foot tapping, all right? Don't worry. Some of, you, some of us were doing the golf clap, you know, the kind of little clap to the song. We really wanted to do the field goal, but we were scared what everybody would think of us. So we just went back to the golf clap. If they saw me lift my hands, what would happen? John 12, 42, 43, just lays it out straight. It's blunt. It says, many people did believe in him, talking about Jesus, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. And here's the blunt statement. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. They became number one over what God said. So the first thing to watch out for in these next 21 days as we get closer to him is pride. If you feel this connects with you a little bit, I have something for you at the end. Number two, the second thing for us to process through and kind of talk about is indulgence. If we start to feel some indulgence going, well, what is indulgence? Belief that pleasure is the goal of life. Indulgence is the belief that pleasure is the goal of life. Wait a minute. So you're telling me that pleasure isn't the goal of life? Like being able to sit on my couch and eat Funyuns and drink Surge and watch Netflix all day is not the goal of life? Are you kidding me? Y'all remember Surge? Glad y'all remember Surge. I love Surge. That stuff was good. Yeah, I'm a little older than I look. Don't worry. Mind blown. That's not the goal of life. I don't get to sit around and watch Netflix all day. Obviously an exaggeration, but still proves the point. Pleasure is not the goal of life. It's not about me and what I want. When indulgence is at the core of who we are, we start living our lives without a true moral compass because we're led by our feelings. When indulgence is at the core of who we are, we don't live with a moral compass because it's all about our feelings and what we want. It feels good to do this so, you know, it must be right. It feels good to make a bunch of money and work all the time, so it must be right. It feels good to wake up on Sunday morning and watch the English Premier League instead of go to church. 98% of y'all have no idea what I just said, do you? English Premier League, soccer. I like soccer, sorry. I like to watch soccer on Sunday mornings, but I choose not to and come to church and spend time with you guys. And then I record it and go back and watch it later, so that's okay. Feelings are good. Don't get me wrong. Feelings are good. Feelings are great. God gave them to us. He created us with an emotional being that enjoys to feel. It's for us. Good feelings make life much, much better. I enjoy watching soccer, and that's okay. I enjoy watching Cowboys football, and that's okay. Is that better? Football over soccer? Forget, I live in DFW Metroplex. It's all about Cowboys here. But empty gifts, empty worship is caused by choosing what feels good over giving God what he deserves. I want to say that again because that messed with me when I was processing through. Empty gifts, empty worship is caused by choosing what feels good over giving God what he deserves. And again, it applies here on a Sunday morning. God, I'm here 
that should be enough. I just don't feel good, so I'm just going to cross my arms and chillax, you know, and do my thing. I'm just going to, chillax even a word anymore? I don't even know where that came from. Sorry, guys. Surge, chillax, I'm all over the place. I'm just going to sit here and chill. Oh, these songs are horrible. This is the set list. I mean, where did the set list even come from? I might raise my hands and engage in worship if they sing that song that gives me the goosebumps and gets me all excited. Yes, I might lift my hands then. But other than that, no, I'm good. I don't feel it. There's no song that gives me the feels. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual... Sorry, guys. I don't know what that was about. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual... Words hard to say. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. Like my heart's racing. That was hard to say. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, praising, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Ouch, that word hurts. Sacrifice? Like, like, you want me to sacrifice my feelings? You want me to sacrifice my pleasure for him? Sacrifice what I want for him? Are you crazy? Isn't it funny how when, how when, how we don't want to sacrifice at first, but then we do sacrifice and end up feeling better in the long run? For me, it's with food. Like, I could pig out and eat all day, every day, but if I don't sacrifice and discipline myself a little bit, I'm going to feel a whole lot worse later on down the road than when I do if I make good decisions and eat clean. This past Wednesday night was a perfect example of that. My worship is always better when I sacrifice my feelings, my desires, my indulgences for him. This past Wednesday night, my wife, Catherine, was out of town at a church conference. And so it was me and the girls. And like trying to get here on a Wednesday night after a long day and getting them all ready and their hair done. And girls' hair is not easy to do. So moms, props to you for doing the lady, the girls' hair. Thank you for doing their hair. Girls' hair is not easy to do and spent forever trying to get it done. And then we get here late and trying to get them fed and taking them to McDonald's. And McDonald's is not good. But taking them to McDonald's and trying to get them fed. It was just, it was a rough day. And I get here on Wednesday night and I walk in and there's no band up here. And, and Jared and Stacy Jones did an amazing job. Thank you guys, wherever y'all are at, for, for leading worship Wednesday night. But I walked in and was like, there's not even a full band. Like, it's just going to be kind of a weird night. I'll just lay back, chill, and enjoy the night, get it over with, go home, go to bed, wake up the next morning and do it again. But instead, God got a hold of me. I was preparing for Sunday and I knew I needed to make a sacrifice. I was like, all right, God, I will make a sacrifice. And literally ended up spending half the night in tears in awe of him, celebrating him, worshiping him. So we don't like to sacrifice, but when we do sacrifice, it ends up a whole lot better than we ever anticipated. Number one, pride. Number two, indulgence. The third thing to look out for are traditions. Traditions. Traditions are attempting to worship God with methods. Traditions, attempting to worship God with methods. Traditions can easily be a replacement for genuine worship. We'll explain. Okay, here we go. You can't have a true worship experience, guys. I just want you to know. You cannot have a true worship experience without being in a church that has stained glass windows. Like, I'm so thankful that we have stained glass windows. Like, that moment when you've got your hands raised and your eyes closed and that red, green, and blue light just hits you right at the same time in the eyeball, like, that is magic. Like, that's just, that's true worship. And then you open your eyes and you see little Holy Spirit particles flowing around everywhere. Like, that is amazing. That's beautiful worship. The tradition of stained glass and of 
in, in a church. I mean, you can't go to church without stained glass, right? I know, I've been there. I was raised in a very vibrant, worshipful background. For example, the tradition of, uh, it, it, it could be extreme at times, the tradition of not watching TV and not watching movies was, was worship. Like, I didn't watch TV or movies, and so therefore it was worship. Well, when I began to realize and understand the beauty of a relationship with God and that not watching TVs and not, or not watching TV and not watching movies wasn't a part of my worship interaction with him, I went nuts, you guys. Like, it was bad nuts. All six episodes of Star Wars in one night. I would not recommend it. That is a lot of Star Wars. The guy at Blockbuster knew me. He would be like, I would walk in every, t- yes, Blockbuster. I said Blockbuster. They were still around then. We didn't have Amazon and Apple TV, all stuff. I'd walk into Blockbuster and be like, all right, dude, what's the next VHS? And he would, like, load me up with the next VHS. I watched, like, all the Superman, the old Supermans, and Indiana Jones, and, like, it was bad. It was really bad. But these traditions, this tradition that I thought was worship to God when I took a step back and realized that, wait, that's probably not accurate. It really kind of changed my life and my view on having a relationship with him. Sunday morning in the environment I grew 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 up in was very vibrant. It was very traditional, but not in the way you might think. It was a different kind of tradition. Like, it wasn't real worship unless somebody took a run around the sanctuary. Like, people would hop up and literally run around the sanctuary. Like, that was worship, and it was a tradition. Somebody did it every service. Like, that was a tradition. Now, when I take a step back and look, can you have an authentic worship experience in a church with stained glass windows? Absolutely. Can you have an authentic worship experience in a very vibrant worship setting? Absolutely. Because it's not about the traditions. It's not about the methods. And when we kick the traditions and the methods to the, to the curb, then we have an opportunity to truly engage and worship with God and get closer to him. My grand went to a Methodist church. I remember the first time I went to the Methodist church with her. And I walk in, and it was, you know, these beautiful stained glass windows and these hard, like, the hardwood pews. And it was really, really nice. And I remember walking in and uh, looking at my grand and be like, grand, where are the drums? Like, there's no drums anywhere. I'm a drummer. So I was, like, looking for the drums, ready to go. And she was like, shh, shh, sit down, be quiet. So I was like, all right, cool, whatever. So the service starts, and, like, the choir's there, and they have the, the, the song books. And it was, it was, looking back on it, it was very, very beautiful, amazing experience. But the choir started singing, so the first thing I do is I stand up and I get ready to clap my hands. And as I get ready to clap my hands, I instantly, instantly see, feel my hands go like this and my feet go like this. And it's because my grand has me in the back of the pants yanking me back into the pew. She's like, no, shh. And then she grabbed a good handful of my thigh and was like, you're not moving anywhere. So there's beauty in all different kinds of worship experiences. No matter if it's a vibrant worship experience or, or a more traditional worship, there's beauty in it. But it's not about the method or the tradition. Jesus got posed with this question, what about traditions? In Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, Pharisees and teachers of religious law started talking to Jesus. They were like, hey, Jesus, why do your disciples, why are they uh, disobeying our age-old traditions? They ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Like, literally. Pharisees went to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, your disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. Like, I mean, I get upset with my daughters for not washing their hands before they eat, but, like, I don't need to, like, see some other kid, like, go to their dad and say, hey, your kid didn't wash their hands. Go make them wash their hands, you know? That's what the Pharisees did to Jesus. Now, there's a little more to it, and I'll dive into that and explain a little bit. But essentially, that's what the Pharisees did. So here in this setting in Scripture, there is a clear difference between clean and unclean. Something was either clean or was unclean, especially regarding food. Bacon. Like, if I had bacon this morning, bacon is unclean. 
well, if I ate bacon, didn't go through the ceremonial cleaning process, and then came and shook your hand, not only was I unclean, but now you were unclean because it's transferable, and we cannot come into the church and worship God together. So the Pharisees were like, all right, this is messed up. It's all about the traditions and the methods. What's going on here? And so to get cleansed, it was this really weird process. They would take a little bitty amount of water, and you'd put your hands like this, and they would pour water on your hands, and it would drip down your hands and off your wrists. And then once that happened, then you would flip your hands over like this, and then the water would run back down this way, and then you'd rinse your hands off and dry your hands off in a fist formation. Well, they did this before every meal, but not just before every meal. They also did it in between courses. Like, imagine being at, like, Texas Roadhouse or something, and you get your salad, and you're like, all right, salad, and you eat it, and then your steak comes out, and you got to wash your hands again, and then after you eat your steak, you get your dessert, you got to wash your hands again. It was just weird, crazy process. These traditions, these methods that the Pharisees were talking about and asking Jesus about, and man, I'll just be honest, Jesus goes off. Like, every now and then, I want to go off like Jesus, but I just don't think it's in my character. I don't think I can go off like Jesus. It would just be weird. Everybody would, like, probably laugh and look at me. But um, Jesus goes off in verse number 7 of Matthew 15. He says, you hypocrites. Like, you hypocrites, exclamation point. Not just you hypocrites. You hypocrites. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. They got the traditions, they got the methods, they got the look, they got the vibe. But their hearts, the real thing I'm looking for is far away. So I challenge you today, don't be like the Pharisees and miss out on the single greatest event in the history of mankind because of traditions. The Pharisees missed the single greatest event in the history of mankind because they were worried about washing their hands. And sometimes we get so focused and so engaged in the traditions and methods of worship that there's a potential we can miss out on the single greatest event in the history of mankind, and that is the returning of Jesus Christ and getting to celebrate and live with him for eternity. So if any of those three things that I've mentioned, pride, indulgence, and traditions have connected with you, then the next few minutes as we kind of wrap up and, and start to close the door will we'll make a lot of sense, and it will, it, will, it will help you. Even if they didn't connect with you, there's probably something, because we're human, probably something in this scenario of things that's causing us to have our hearts far away from God, and so the next few minutes can really help us. And so here's what needs to be inside the gift of worship when he opens it, when we give it to him. The first thing is awe. I told you I like the word awesome. Awesome, like something that's awesome, awe. We have to be in awe of God. On the way to church this morning, we were driving down the road, and just over top of the houses, you can see the sun rising, and it was absolutely beautiful. And I was like, okay, God, yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I had an opportunity to tell him, God, that's awesome. Thank you for creating this thing. This, thank you for creating life and making all this stuff happen and function. And when you think about it like that and take a step back, it's really awesome. And you find yourself in awe of how awesome God is. Like, I love it when people tell me I'm awesome. Like, if you want to tell me I'm awesome today, feel free. I'll take it, all right? And I'll give you a high five for it. But when my daughters tell me I'm awesome, that's like a whole different ballgame. Now, it's becoming more and more challenging to accomplish. They don't think I'm as awesome as I used to be. But when I accomplish it and they tell me it's absolutely amazing, I love it. God has the same perspective with us. We are his children. When we take the time to stop and say, God, you're awesome, he loves that. It makes his day. What do they say? It melts his butter. Like, it makes him feel awesome. He loves it. 
don't know where that came from, sorry. <laughs> it's being overcome and overwhelmed and overflowing with gratitude for who he is and what he's done. On a Sunday morning when we sing songs like what we sing today and we have the opportunity to be overcome and overwhelmed with gratitude about how awesome he is. It's, it's that moment of awe of closing your eyes and saying, God, thank you for the cross. The cross has the final word and that is awesome. Number one is awe. Number two is affection. My life would be absolutely miserable if I looked at my beautiful wife, Catherine, and said, babe, I love you, but I don't think I'm going to hold your hand anymore. I don't think we're going to, don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to give you a kiss. I don't really want to hug you. We're not going to hug anymore. Like, that would be, like, bad. Right, ladies? You can elbow your husband a little bit if you need to. That would be bad. And essentially, we do that to God. We say, God, I love you. You're awesome, but yeah. I don't really want to raise my hands. I don't really want to have focused time with you, genuine time with you. So, yeah, that affection side, I'm going to put that to the side. And I'll just tell you how awesome you are, and I'll love on you. I'll tell you I love you without the affection. So you say, all right, explain that. How do I show God affection? Well, my wife is amazing. I love her. She's beautiful. She's incredible in so many ways. And I can literally stand here and tell you point after point and thought after thought of how awesome she is. I love her love for God, her, her passion for people, her compassion for kids. Like, she's so compassionate with kids. Her zeal for our daughters and zeal for our, her, our, our marriage and, and life. She's absolutely beautiful. She has a great smile, an incredible laugh. Her eyes, I love her brown eyes. And I could tell you all that right off the cuff without having a Facebook stalker because I know her. Because we've spent intimate time together. We've spent quality time together. That's affection. The closer you get to God, the closer you want to get to God in your worship, the more time you have that quality, the more you have that quality, affectionate time with him, you'll get to know more and more about him. You'll wake up on a Sunday morning and be like, God, you're awesome, and I know this, 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 and this about you. It's your character. It's who you are. And it's spending quality time. Worship has to be full of awe, and it has to have affection. And then the last thing, the hardest one, I'll be honest with you, it's the hardest one. And some of you may be like, eh, no, I'm good, thanks. But the hardest one is abandon. Awe, affection, and abandon. Hey, I had three points with all three A's. I think I get an A for that. Thank you. Abandon. Like, heaven's rejoicing right now when a pastor has three points that have all three of the same letter. Something major. At least for me it is. God, I abandon my life, my desires, what I want for you. I give you control of my life. I'm tired of just kind of casually dating you. I'm ready for a relationship. Let's go all in together. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it, right? Saying that to God, God, I want to put a ring on it. Let's make it official. I'm giving up my desires for you, putting you first. Romans 12.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Give your body to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy. There's that word again. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. And here's the key statement. This is truly the way to worship him. When we sacrifice what we want. Sacrifice our desires. Put him first. This is the way to truly worship him. 
We have to worship with awe, with affection, and with abandon. And we put those three pieces together into our worship, whether it's here on a Sunday morning, abandoning my desires and what I want and being affectionate, spending quality time with him and thinking about how awesome he is, or whether it's in our daily lives or our life of worship to him. When we add these three things into our worship, when he opens that gift of worship, when he sees it, it's going to be full of amazing things and full of exactly what he wants. And in closing today, if you'd all stand with me, I want to I wrap up and put a little bow on our conversation today. Put a little bow on this message with this one simple, straightforward statement. God wants a relationship with you. And it's as simple as that. That is the starting point. That's where it all begins. God wants a genuine, real relationship with you. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about this relationship and about these 21 days and the prayer and getting closer to him. Here's how it all works. There's two trains of thought that will get you. There's two, two, trains, two trains of thought that will take place as you contemplate committing to 21 days of time with him. And I'm going to compare it and use the analogy of my relationship with my wife. Catherine, her birthday is coming up on August 22nd. I'm going to go buy her a gift. But as I go through the process of thinking about what to get her and in the process of buying her a gift, there's two, two thought processes that are going to take place, that could take place. Number one is, I'm going to go buy her a gift because I have to. And if I don't get her a gift on her birthday, she's going to be really, really upset with me. That's option number one. Guys, you've thought that. It's okay to admit it. I've thought it. That's option number one. Option number two is, my wife is absolutely amazing and I love her and I want to celebrate her on her birthday and so in the form of celebration I'm going to go buy her something amazing you see the difference I have to buy her something I get to buy her something and this is exactly what happens in our relationship with God this is exactly what happens in our attempt to get closer to him over these next 21 days, if you say, all right, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm, I'm going to try. You know, yeah, you know, I have, to, uh, I have to get rid of some stuff. I have to do this. I have to find time to pray. I have to, you know, get rid of the traditions. I have to, I have to not do what I want to do. I have to. Or you can say, God, I'm going to take these 21 days, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get closer to you because you're awesome, because you've done so many amazing things for me because you've been there for me. And I I don't have to, but God, I want to show you affection. And I don't have to, but I want to give my life to you completely in full 100% abandon because at the core of who I am, my spirit man wants to be close to you. And so I challenge you, I charge you as we begin 21 days, as we leave here today here in just a couple of minutes to let that be your thought process. I don't have to do 21 days. You don't have to pray for 21 days, but I get to pray for 21 days because I get to get closer to the God of all creation. That's my charge, my challenge for you today as we begin those 21 days of prayer. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna pray. I wanna pray over us as we wrap up for the day. Before I pray, you know, today is the day for someone to take their first step. Today is the day that someone's been saying, you know, I've made some mistakes. I've tried to live life my way and, you know, it hasn't worked. I've tried to be the boss of my life, but I'm just not happy. So I'm abandoning my way of thinking and I want a relationship with you, God. Or maybe, maybe you've tried to, you, you've tried to, to, to worship God, but you're giving empty gifts, you know. I proclaim to be a Christian, but I'm not living up to my side of the bargain. I've been prideful. I've been indulgent. I've been uh, stuck in traditions. 
and, and I'm ready to have a genuine relationship with you. If you feel either of those ways, if either of those statements that I just made connect with you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I can't make you pray it. You don't have to pray it. But if you want to pray it, this is your opportunity. And you've got to mean it. It's got to come from your heart. I can't say it for you, but you can pray these words. So I'm going to pray these. Pray this prayer. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for being with us. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for the sacrifices that you made for us. You took the first step. And now, God, it's our turn. It's our opportunity to take the step closer to you. And when we take the step closer to you, you're going to get closer to us. And we're going to end up getting so close that it's going to be absolutely amazing. That it will change our lives, not just for a day or a few days or even a few weeks. But, God, it can change our life for literally eternally. And so we make this commitment, make this decision over the next 21 days to take the first steps to start building the habits and the traditions, the building the habits and getting away from the traditions and getting away from the indulgence and getting away from the pride and showing you how awesome you are and being affectionate with you and giving all and abandon to you. We make that decision today and we move forward with it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. I'm so happy to have celebrated with you today the goodness of God. And I pray that over the next few days that this is a blessing to you and a challenge to you to get closer to him. The next steps, number one, if you pray that prayer today and you're ready to take the next steps in relationship with him, then I want you to complete this connection card. Let us know. If you gave your life to Christ for the first time, if you made a decision for the first time today, write it on the back of here. Let us know. We want to celebrate with you. There's two bins by these exit doors. Drop it in there. Beyond that, next Sunday, the second Sunday of every month is Baptism Sunday right here at Calvary Church. We're going to be celebrating right there with people who have made showing an outward expression of what God is doing on the inside. If you want to be baptized, fill this out. Let us know. We want to celebrate with you. And then today, if you're looking for the next steps, you're looking at how to get connected at Calvary Church, you're looking at how to take the next steps in your relationship with God, we do something every Sunday at 1130 called Growth Track. And it's getting you on the track to grow here at Calvary and grow in your relationship with God. So grab some coffee, and it's right up these stairs. Go out the hallway, go out these doors. To your right and left, there's a stairway that takes you upstairs. Go right upstairs. Pastor Manny's up there today. He's going to be teaching, and he wants to celebrate with you and give you the next steps in growing in your relationship with him. So I love you. I appreciate you being here today, and I challenge you. Take this next 21 days and let it be a life-changing moment and a life-changing season for your life. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed.